God is so good, isn't He? You ready to get into the Word? Let's pray. Father, we just give You thanks and praise. Lord, I love some of the songs we sang today because they talk about standing firm in You and about how Your faith is unshakable, how You stand with us even through the darkest night, how You encourage us. And Lord, today, as we look at Your Word, I just pray that You would open our hearts Lord, your word is unlike any other book. It's not just another book that was written. Your book, the Bible, is really penned by people over, I think, 1,200 years that were moved by your Holy Spirit. It's a collection of books that are part of your community. And Lord, today, as we look at your word, specifically out of Colossians and a few other places, Lord, make your word come alive to us. Let your word live in our hearts And Lord, help me to present what your Holy Spirit is saying to our church today. Help me to present it clearly, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we started last week talking about the one another's, and I shared that I took all the one another's in the Bible, the Greek word aleilus or aleilon. It's a word that essentially means one another. After doing extensive research, we found out it means one another. So uh, I distilled down the uh, about 100 verses into these particular areas. And I'm, I'm just going to take this week and the next couple weeks to break down some of these things because I think the Lord wants to help us define when He tells us to love one another, what does that mean? It's not just a feeling. There are action points. There are things that God has called us to do as a community. If you are intent on walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus, you can't become everything that Jesus wants you to become unless you learn to walk with God's people. I know there are people out there in internet land right now that are listening to me because I've heard, just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard from a lot of people. Uh, you wouldn't believe sometimes how far our um, broadcasts go and how, th- how far things go on the internet. And I say to you, if you're, those of you that are out in internet land that are listening to this in, in the next week, Uh, If you're not connected to a real living body of believers, you need to do that. You can't become who God wants you to be unless you're connected to God's leadership, unless you're connected to the church. And I'm not just talking about a building, and I'm not talking about an institution. I'm talking about the living, growing, organic organism of men and women and young people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that make up the church. We need to find where we connect, and we need to learn to grow. And that's by living out the one another's. So let's take a a look today. We're going to look at two, the culture of forgiveness and bearing one another those two fit together, and in Colossians 3.12, uh, Paul tells us some very important things about that. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let me read that again. He says, clothe yourselves. When you get up in the morning and you put your clothes on, everybody has their own uh, routine about how they how they dress and what they put on. At least I hope you're getting dressed. But this is what we should get dressed with in the spirit. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What a suit of clothes. Think about that. Five things. And then he says in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple weeks, and the Lord has been speaking to me. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm in a season where it's been kind of overwhelming. God is revealing a lot of interesting things to me, and I'm going to share some of those today. I think that many people have extremely high expectations of the church. How many of you have high expectations of the church? After all, the church should be a community that's a cut above, right, of all the other groups in society. It should be better than the people we work with. It should even be better than our family. It should be better than some of the voluntary associations we get together, like bowling league or whatever you connect to, right? The church should be a cut above. It should be better, theoretically. Church is not a place where people expect to be hurt. Church is not a place where people expect to be offended or have conflict. George Barna, some of you have read George Barna's stuff over the years. He is a pollster, but he does a lot of research about the church, specifically the church in America. He says something. He says, in the midst of the emotional and spiritual upset that occurs when a church hurts or disappoints us, we tend to lose sight of the fact that the local church is merely a collection of people on a challenging journey, a group of people that are involved in a long-term transformation process. So let's talk about your expectations of the church. On the one hand, we expect the church to be like a hospital. We are a place where anybody that is hurting or broken, anybody that has been abused or anybody that has come to the end of themselves and said, I need Jesus and I need his help, it's a place where people can come. Is that correct? At the same time, we expect the church to be morally superior, people that have it all together. You're not laughing enough here. I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? I remember years ago when we were on staff, Janice and I on staff at the first church that we were on staff with, and uh, I remember thinking, our church is like a hospital. The problem is patients are the ones that are doing surgery on other patients. We don't have enough doctors because nobody's made disciples. This is a really dangerous place. People practicing triage on one another. Are you with me on this? So if you start thinking about the expectations we have of the church, they are in some ways totally unrealistic. How can we be all together and welcome anybody to come into our midst? So on any given Sunday morning, we could have people here, and this is mostly a hometown crowd today. We don't have a lot of visitors. I think it was a couple weeks ago we had tons of visitors. And uh, it changes every time. You know, every Sunday is different. So I'll speak to you like a hometown crowd. And visitors that are here, be gracious with me, okay, with what I have to say. But we could have anybody come into this place on a Sunday morning, and a visitor might be offended by another visitor who's not friendly to them and say, that church really stinks. I'm going to give them a zero on Google. By the way, if you're out there raiding churches, be really careful because you're talking about the Holy Spirit too. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say some things that might be a bit of a revelation to us today. I've stopped, as a matter of fact, I've stopped rating a lot of things because they're they're messing with the the rating systems are being rigged. I don't know if you've read some of the stuff out there. I don't trust them anymore. Okay. But I don't want to get off on that tangent. What I want to say is, I want our church to be open to everybody that's willing to come. 
But that also means that we have to be willing to bear with, bear with things that may make us uncomfortable. What if God brings the broken in our midst? What if he brings people that aren't very functional? When I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I came because I was desperate. I came because I was a rebellious, self-centered, broken teenager who had made a mess of my life and got involved in stuff with the occult that scared the hell out of me. You can't believe a pastor said that. Well, when your friend conjures a spirit in your room and you realize that not only is God real, but the demonic realm is real, I had the hell scare out of me. That's theologically correct. And I got down on my knees, and in that moment, what I was thinking is, I'm going to join a diverse group of people, and I'm really excited about this. (laughs) I was so desperate to know Jesus. I had no idea what I was getting into. Can I tell you, I had no idea what I was getting into. All I said was, God, you're so real. And I sensed his presence that night, and I said, Lord, if you save me tonight, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll go wherever you want me to go. I belong to you. And I say the same thing today. Between then and now, I've been hurt probably 4,000 times in the church. I haven't kept score. I've forgiven a lot. But God did something sovereign to me. Do you understand why I came to Jesus? It wasn't because there was this group of people out there that was perfect. It was because I found a perfect God who shed his blood for me and purchased my salvation. It was later that I discovered that I needed to walk with a group of people that was very imperfect. One of the first guys I met on our campus back then was a guy named Steve Neptune. He's a pastor in Aurora now among other things, and Steve at that time had a lot of hair. If you know Steve, it's gone. As my dad said, it waved goodbye. But Steve was carrying this big cross across the campus and preaching about Jesus out there. Now, his theology wasn't perfect either. But Steve had come to the Lord. He had gotten saved. He he was so desperate for God, and he had no church background. He ended up going to this Pentecostal holiness church, And the people there told him, they said, we'll baptize you, but we have to give you a haircut first. Now, how many of you would have gotten offended? I get offended thinking about it today. But he said, you know what? These people have loved me. They're not perfect, but they're the church. He got a haircut and he got baptized. I don't know how he looks back at that moment, at that particular time, but folks, I want you to know that the church is always going to be imperfect. Can you imagine in the book of Acts when all of a sudden 3,000 people were added to the church in one day? They didn't know the rules. They didn't know the one another's. But for those of us that are maturing, that are becoming like Christ, we need to learn how to care for one another. And we don't mean to do it, but there are times when we are going to hurt one another in the process. You've heard me say it before. But there was a moment in time where I said, you know, I've been hurt by families. I'm not going to do family anymore. I'm not going to my family. People say the same thing about church, right? We withdraw. And yet, somehow, God wants us to grow up even through the hurts with one another. So I've made a decision throughout my life. It doesn't matter what people do to me. I'm going to stand strong in the Lord. I'm going to serve Him no matter what. 
Satan has a plan to take people out of the kingdom of God, and it's called offense. If you've never read the book, The Bait of Satan, and I wish he had a different title because it's hard to understand what John Bevere is talking about there. I think it's one of the best Christian books written in the last 50 years. And uh, they just put it in French, and I told all my French pastors, you need to get a copy of this book, and they all went out and got it, and they're starting to read it. But the bait of Satan is taking that bait of offense and saying, I'm offended by what people did. I've got to tell you, my expectations of walking as a Christian, my expectations of walking as a father, as a husband, is I'm going to be offended. And I'm going to mature through it and grow through it and work through it. I want to say something to the uh, millennial generation and Generation Z coming after them. We have representatives from both here right now, and I love you guys. There are so many things that are wonderful about your generation, but I've got to tell you, I've seen so many people give up on church because they've been offended, and their expectations are way up here. Can I tell you something? When you develop a heart of humility, you realize you hurt people as much as they hurt you. And when you discover all the hypocrites in your life, there's usually one that you haven't yet acknowledged, and that's you. Because I don't know about you, have you lived up to all of the expectations you have for you? So can we be gracious with one another? I got ahead of myself in the notes. We can pray here and go home now if you want. <laughs> I want to ask you some questions. Here's another quote by Stephen Mansfield. You must not think of them, the Hebrews 12, cloud of witnesses as perfect saints who never suffered as we do. Instead, you must see them as flawed and betrayed and wounded who simply chose to live above the programming of their pain. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus who finishes the race well, you are going to be able to live above the painful experiences you have and say, Lord, I don't like what's happening. I don't like relationally getting hurt, but I'm going to use this to allow me to grow to be stronger in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I've got to tell you, the disciples of Jesus hurt one another. I'm sure when they went to bed at night, they looked at one another with one eye open thinking, okay, when is Judas going to knife me? Levi's probably thinking, somebody here is going to kill me. One of the zealots is going to kill me sooner or later. I was a tax collector. You think about the people that chose Jesus and the people that Jesus chose. They were very diverse people. Tell me they didn't have some difficulties. Do you think the disciples of Jesus were hurt or offended by one another? Do you think Jesus may have hurt people's feelings? Peter's having a really good day, and he says, Jesus, I know that you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, okay, now it's time to tell them that I have to go to the cross. And Peter says, we're not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So in one minute, he's being blessed for what he said, and the next minute, the Lord is rebuking Satan in him. I thought about that story and I remembered somebody in our church years ago, many, many years ago, they were praying with Janice for someone else and Janice rebuked demons that were operating in this person's life and they got offended and they left. They said, well, you judge that woman. The whole point is, if you haven't been offended by the gospel, then you have not read it properly. No, I'm talking about offense here right now. The gospel of Jesus offended people. And just about the time he had thousands of people following him, he said things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, 
unless you really are willing to enter into covenant, unless you're willing to lay down your cross, your life, and take up the cross, unless you're willing to die. I listened to a song on the way here. I love, uh, they have a Christian bluegrass station on for three or four hours on Sirius XM on Sunday morning. But they had this great country song that said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's a great song. All of us want to follow Jesus, but nobody wants to lay down their life and take up their cross and follow him. Everybody wants an easy theology that says, I want to follow Jesus, but nobody wants to say, you know what? If I follow Jesus, I have the same inheritance of him, and that means I need to lay my life down. And as I come, I'm not at the end of the race, but I'm in the fourth quarter, so to speak, okay? And I look at the next generations that are coming up, and some of you that are younger than me, if you don't have a theology of suffering in your life that says, there's a reason why I go through the hard things I do, Jesus didn't promise that everything was going to go okay. And even in church world, sometimes we're going to rub one another the wrong way. We sharpen one another. We have sharp edges. And there are sparks when God rubs us against one another. I wonder if Jesus chose those people on purpose. And the Bible's very honest, by the way, about, about recording conflicts, hurts, divisions that happened. Judas was one of them. Judas got offended and never recovered. Peter got offended and recovered. I want to be like Peter. It said Judas was offended and the enemy was able to enter into him and deceive him. If you were offended, it's almost like the enemy has access. He can grab onto you and he can steer you whatever way you want to go. If you're offended, the enemy will take you out so fast. He will take you out of the church. He will take you out of the way of God and he will open a door of deception so quickly in your life. That's why Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer every day, he says we need to forgive those who have sinned against us, living a life of forgiveness. And we're going to get to that here in a moment. What about the widow's conflict in Acts? Instead of dividing the church, what it did is it brought them to a place where they said we need to expand our leadership here. And it led to an even greater revival, greater outpouring of God's Spirit because they handled it the right way. 1 Corinthians was a church terribly divided, and Paul has clear words for them. How about Barnabas and Paul, two wonderful apostles working together? They had a disagreement in one separate ways. How do you deal with that? Sometimes the reality in the church is that there are conflicts. Now you're probably saying, okay, is Pastor Joe talking about this because we have a lot of conflict? No. I thank God there's a lot of unity in our church, but I feel like I need to share this with you. Other things that Jesus told us to consider about the church, and I want you to hear this. It's very clear that we understand this. Jesus told us, he gave us a story about the wheat and the tares. Tares were a kind of weed that was looking very much like wheat. It came up, there was a head similar to wheat. And uh, apparently in the Middle East, it would grow among the wheat and whatever. And Jesus said the wheat and the tare will grow together until the end of time when they'll be separated and the, the weeds will be burned up and the wheat will be gathered in the barn, meaning those that are tares will be destroyed. Those that are wheat will be gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. So if you have expectations that the church is going to be a place that is pure and always together and everything's going to happen okay and you're never going to get hurt, you need to understand that there are people here that don't belong to the Lord Jesus. They may look religious, they may sound religious, they may smell religious, 
but they really don't know Jesus. This is a place where people come to know him, but not everybody does. You may be scandalized to think that, but just by pulling into the parking lot and walking in the door doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a lifestyle of obedience. So Jesus tells us there are people. He also goes on to say, along with all the apostles, that there would be grievous wolves that would enter the flock. There would be false teachers that would enter the church. Sometimes people say to me, how can the world even go, how can the world even consider the church? Look at some of the people that are in there. Well, Jesus told us from the beginning the church would be infiltrated. There would be people that would live a false life and deceive people. There would be people that taught, taught false doctrine. And I'm seeing it happen at a rate I've never seen it happen before. I'm warning you so you listen to me on this. If you're listening to people on the internet or the radio, make sure you know who you're listening to. Sometimes I get together like this meeting in Detroit where you get together with national leaders and you hear some of the stories of things going on and things happening in different churches and I hear about some of the national ministries out there and I think, why are people even supporting those people? They're totally false. It's ridiculous. Jesus also warned us in Matthew 24 about the end times. He said that uh, because of the Increase of wickedness, the love of most would grow cold. People are saying, man, Pastor Joe, what's happening in our world right now? Well, read 2 Timothy chapter 3, or read Matthew 24, and Jesus said, this is what things will look like in the end times. The old will dis, or the young will disrespect the old. People will dishonor the word. People will be self-centered. People will be driven by money and greed. People will be driven. If you read that list, you go, okay. Jesus knew that was going to happen. But guess what? Everything he told me 40-some years ago when I came to Christ is still true. I told the Lord this morning, I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. The same thing I told you 40 years ago, I belong to the Lord. He is more real to me now than ever before. And if you haven't experienced his presence, I pray that you do. But the church is a place where there are times when you will be offended. The teaching of the Bible assumes that you're going to be offended, by the way. There's so much said about forgiveness and working to heal offenses. That's why Paul says there, bear with one another, forgiving each other. You wouldn't have to say that if there weren't offenses, right? Like I said a moment ago, one of the greatest weapons of Satan is to take, to take a believer out. Everyone will be offended. Almost every person I know that has left the church and has walked away from Christ, you can point to an offense. And I want to tell you something, and please listen to what I'm saying. I felt like the Lord said this morning, you're going to share words, and if people listen, there will be lives saved today. Many times when people are offended, there may be a kernel of truth of why they're offended, but a lot of offenses are assumed and made up. People hear things, or they thought they heard things, or they the enemy manufactures something, and if you buy it, you're dead in the water. The enemy of our soul, Satan, is a master at selling people lies. So what does he tell Eve? He said, if you eat this fruit... You're going to be like God. God's just trying to keep you down here. You're not going to really die. 
He's so good. Sometimes he says to us, those people should have done this, or those people should have done that, or this or that. Can I tell you, too, something about the church you need to know? If you find deficiencies in the church, chances are the gift that God gave you and the heart that God gave you to see the deficiency in the church is exactly why he brought you there. He didn't bring you there because you were looking for a perfect place. He brought you there because he needed your gift in that place. So here's the question. Everyone will be offended. Will be you be the one that rises above and does the mature and biblical thing when you're offended? Will you grow through it? Jesus tells us that forgiveness is not an option. In fact, it needs to be a lifestyle. That's why the apostle says, bear with one another forgiving any grievances we have against others. Why did Paul say that? Because he knew if you had offense in your life, you couldn't grow. And sooner or later, if you were offended, the enemy could take you out. God couldn't use you at all. And yet I've known people that have been in the church almost all their life and they've been offended almost their entire life. I'm thinking when I was a little kid and growing up and there were people that were bitter. I don't want to have in my life any bitter roots. For the people that hurt me, I want to release them and I want to let go of bitter roots. Hebrews tells us that where there's a fence that we don't work out, a bitter root will spring up. Bitterness begins to take hold of our heart and we'll defile other people. But before you defile someone else, I've got to tell you, you'll shut down the work of God in your own life. You will become spiritually blind, unable to see. Some of us say, well, how do we forgive? How do you know how to forgive? Sometimes it's a, something you need to work on for a season because the feelings keep coming back. Maybe that's why Jesus says 70 times 70, we need to forgive. By the way, somebody told me the Pharisees had worked it out that if you tried to forgive somebody seven times and you couldn't, you could give up on it. I don't think that's the way God works. Aren't you glad that God forgave us? When we really see ourselves in the light of God's truth and, and humility, then we're able to extend uh, grace to other people. Jesus in his model for daily prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer indicates that forgiving those who have sinned against us, as well as repentance for our own sins, needs to be part of our daily life. It's funny, we pray for our daily bread, we understand that part, but we also need to forgive everybody daily that has hurt us and repent of our own sins. That's in contrast to the reality of many who call themselves Christians but feel like they can live a life that's offended all the time and hold on to grudges. When we take up the cross of Jesus, we give up the right to stay offended. You lost your rights. You say, wait a minute. Well, you you, you have the right to stay offended, but you can't walk with Jesus and stay offended. That's the issue. So how do we allow the grace of God to work in us? How critical is forgiveness? Well, let's look out, living out some of the one another's. There are things not to do when you're offended or hurt. Let's look at those. Things not to do is gossip or slander someone. If someone hurts you, there's a biblical protocol for how you work out that hurt. And guess what? The Bible says in Matthew 18, go to them privately. 
Why does he say that? Because if you go to 20 other people in the church and you tell them how much this person hurt you, please pray for me. I'm going to go talk to them, but I need people to pray for me. My favorite one was the church meeting where this lady got up and said, please pray for Mrs. Johnson, who's sitting there in the meeting. Her husband's having an affair and she doesn't know it. Sometimes <laughs> you like that one. You're all so quiet today. I know I'm a little intense today, but it, we're, we're coming to a good, good conclusion. If only the good news of Jesus went as fast as gossip and slander in the world, we would really be in good shape. Things you also shouldn't do. Don't allow a bitter root to form. Work out your broken relationship as quickly as you can. Sit down with that person. Don't allow the enemy to paint an evil picture of them. Don't react in the same spirit in which the person hurt you. We need to act in the spirit of Christ. Yes. Well, they hit me, I'm going to hit them back. What's that, about four years old to six years old? Yes. Maturity? They offended me, so. Instead, we need to act in the opposite spirit, don't we? That's what maturity looks like. Don't withdraw. Include, and when I say withdraw, that means shut down and stop talking to them or withdraw from relationships. Well, I got hurt. So I'm not going to. I just get hurt when I get into relationships. Well, what's the option there? Okay. Can I tell you that some of the relationships where there has been offense, when we worked it out, those have become some of the greatest friendships in my life. So Steve and Jennifer, have I offended you in the past? Yeah. But we worked it out, right? Steve's not sure. He's kind of... I need to talk to you after the service. I, I mean, some of my oldest friends are here. Ivan, have, we've had to work through stuff, haven't we? And when we did, it got better. Joanne, is that true? <laughs> I've seen people leave churches when they get hurt and go to another church with the same wonderful starry-eyed expectations that the next church will be the better place and then in that church they don't hurt people in that church I'm not going to run into any conflict and what happens is the same thing plays out again and again and again why? Because you can't run away from your problems. They will go with you. And if you don't work things out, you'll have to work them out at some point. Things you need to do. Here are five things you need to do. Seek the holiness in your own life that you've, you've expected from other people. So they're not living up to it. Well, why don't you live up to it and show them how it's done? Seek God and trust that He has a higher purpose that He wants to work in you. When conflict comes, don't think it's the end of the world. Say, okay, Lord... Something's happening here, but you're going to work this out. I have faith in you that you're going to work this out and we're going to have a better relationship and it's going to be even better. Believe, number three, believe that God can and will bring reconciliation and healing. Have faith that that's going to happen. Number four, follow biblical protocols for reconciliation. Talk to the person privately. Go with a heart of humility. Speak to them with honor. You may be angry at them, but you still need to honor them. And speak to them with integrity. And number five, examine your own heart. Because often, it's not usually 100% wrong on one side. Often there's shared faults. And sometimes we need to own our own things, don't we? Own things in our own behavior. 
So let's look for the next couple minutes what Paul was telling us from Colossians. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We don't usually wonder each morning what we're going to wear or, or if we should get dressed or not. We may wonder what we wear, but we don't decide, well, today I'm, not, I'm going to go without clothes. If you do, I will not visit you in jail. I'll call. <laughs> Jim got it. We don't usually wonder each morning if we should get dressed or not. We just get dressed, right? It's something we do. Paul is telling us to clothe ourselves with five things. For me, this means mentally reminding myself and praying that these will be the things that motivate my relationships with others. I have things in my life plan, things I have a sheet of paper with four areas that are goals for my life. One of them is seek to, un uh, seek to understand before I seek to be understood by others. Okay, and that's out of uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but I, I took that one out. Another one is to be a better listener. So going to this meeting in Detroit where uh, I was going to meet with all these leaders, I prayed through those on the way there, and I said, Lord, help me to be a good listener today. Help me not to be always ready to speak and to make sure I listen to everybody and really seek to understand them before I seek to, to under, be understood. This is putting on. It's thinking through your mind. I'm going to go out today, and I'm going to work on being compassionate and kind to people, and I'm going to... Just ask the Lord to help me with these things. So what is compassion? Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Consider their needs in the moment. Ask the question, what's going on in their lives? As I listened to some of my, the other leaders as I was in that meeting this week, I thought, man, they're really facing some tough things. I need to be tender with them right now. God, give me spiritual radar to see people with your eyes. So the person who's rude to me at the lunch counter or the person that cuts me off in traffic may have somebody in their family that's dying. And they don't know how to deal with it. They're just angry about it. So Lord, if I see through your eyes, it's not somebody I should shut off or shut down. It's somebody I need to reach out to and love anyway. That's what compassion is. I never got over how they answered the telephone in Spain. You know, Janice and I lived there for a year. So when they answered the phone in Spain, they would say, Si, sí, diga. Which basically is, yes, talk to me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, we say, hello, how are you? And even in Central America, where we learn Spanish, they would say, good morning, buenos dias, como estas? And, uh, you know, how can I serve you? You know, and, and in Spain, it was totally different. People that visited us from uh, Central America, they freaked out when they heard that. It was, it was really different. So I was reading Martin B., Kupenhofer, in his book, Room to Grow, writes about St. Benedict. He said, the rules of St. Benedict, written by Benedict of Nursia 1,500 years ago, had instructions for the specific role of who greeted people at the door of the monastery. The porter in charge of answering the door. The porter's job is to open the door to the monastery when somebody knocks. Not much of a role, you say, but there's so much more to it. One contemporary Benedictine author notes, the way we answer the doors is the way we deal with the world. I thought about that, the way we greet people, the, way, the face that we present to them, the way that we look when we're at work, when we're working with other people. Do we have a heart of compassion or are we saying, don't come near me? The porter is given very specific instructions. He's to sleep near the entrance of the monastery so he can hear and respond in a timely way when somebody knocks. The porter is to offer a welcome. In Benedict's words, these are the words he, they were supposed to say, with all the gentleness that comes from the reverence of God, and with the warmth of love, 
Thanks be to God that you're here. Your blessing, please. And he's to say this even before he knows who's on the other side of the door. That's approaching people with compassion. It's a different way of looking at the world. The second thing he says is kindness. Kindness is not just a good feeling. It's an action word. The word means this. It means to be actively disposed to meet the needs of others. In this context, as an agent of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a feeling, but it means a readiness for action. It requires that we have enough margin in our lives to respond to need. If you're in a hurry and you're busy all the time, you won't be able to show kindness. Because often kindness comes in a moment that you're not expecting, and you have to make yourself available to people. I love the um, Random Acts of Kindness book, although I think it shouldn't just be one day a year. But I love some of the stories that I got. Can I read you two, just two quick paragraphs? This is from Marilyn Kinsella in Canmore, Canada. She says, I forgot about the rules on liquids and carry-on luggage. Anybody ever did that? So when I hit security at the airport, I had to give out all my painting supplies. She's an artist. They basically took all her stuff. I noticed that at Cleveland Airport, they had all the knives and stuff up on the board for a while. I think they finally took that down. Some poor chef had his whole knife collection. He was going somewhere, and he had all his professional knives. And there was like $3,000 of knives up on that board. And I thought, man, he lost everything. So anyway... They took these things from her. She said, when I returned a week later, an attendant was at baggage area with my paints. Not only had he kept them for me, but he looked up my return date and time in order to meet me when I got off the plane. That's kindness. That's actively disposed to make a difference in somebody's life. Here's another one. Clarence Stevens from Nicholasville, Kentucky says, leaving a store, I returned to my car only to find that I'd locked my keys and cell phone inside. A teenager riding his bike saw me kick a tire and say some choice words. What's wrong, he asked, as I explained my situation. But even if I could call my wife, I said, she can't bring me her car key since this is our only car. So he handed me his cell phone. He says, call your wife and tell her I'm coming to get her key. That's a seven-mile round trip. Don't worry about it. An hour later, he returned with a key. I offered him some money, but he refused. And he said, let's just say I needed the exercise. And he said, then like a cowboy in the movies, he rode off as the, into the sunset as my hero. <laughs> I love that. That's kindness. Kindness means you stop what you're doing with your plans for the day because you see someone else in need and you're actively disposed to help them get through their day or get through their journey in life. Paul says, bear with one another. What is bear with one another? When you see a sign in the road that says bear left or bear right, what does that mean? It means instead of going straight, you're going to take a little bit of a, another direction. What that means to me is there are a group of people that God has called you to walk with. You probably never would have chosen to walk with some of them. Some of them you might have. But most of us, we choose who we're going to walk with by the interests that we have. Bicycling club an arts organization, a reading organization. You were part of that reading group in the neighborhood. We read new books. But in the church, you don't get to choose who those people are. So sometimes that means we have to bear with them. We're going a different way to love them and encourage them. And we're, it doesn't mean compromise of our values. It doesn't mean compromise of what we believe in Jesus. But what it means is we're going to go out of our way to love them and walk with them and find out about their life and find out interest about them. That's what bearing with one another means. 
The Greek, anekomai, means to endure, to put up with, or to suffer. Jesus uses the word bear with in Matthew 17. He says, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up, or how long shall I bear with you? So I start thinking to myself, Jesus knew everybody's fault and everybody's sin. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus in your family? He had half-brothers and sisters. He was never wrong. What was it like being... No, I, I have some questions I want to ask when, I'm, when I get there. But Jesus, we should have the same attitude with others. Jesus put up with us, with our sin, with our brokenness, with all the stuff in our life. Now, sometimes when I praise Him, that's the thing I praise Him for the most. I said, Lord, how could you put up with me all these years? I fall down and you pick me up. I make mistakes and you say, it's okay, keep going. That's bearing with. We need to have the same attitude of Jesus in bearing with other people's faults and weakness. It doesn't mean we compromise spiritually, but it means that we're willing to put aside our own interests to invest in other people and to love them in the midst of that process. Then he says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we know how to forgive? God forgave us. Did we deserve it? How many of you say, God deserved, I deserve God's forgiveness? None of us did. And so many of the people in our life don't deserve our forgiveness. We offer it freely because God gave it to us. One of my first uh, authors that I read when I was a new Christian was uh, Rebecca Pippert. Remember her from InterVarsity? Becky Pippert. Tim Keller tells a story in his book, Making Sense of God, about Becky Pippert. And he says, author and teacher Rebecca Pippert had the opportunity to audit some graduate-level courses at Harvard University. One of, them was, one of them was a systems of counseling course. At one point, the professor presented a case study in which the therapeutic methods were used to help a man uncover deep hostility and anger towards his mother. This helped the client understand himself in new ways. So Pippert asked the professor how he would have responded if the man had asked her for help to forgive her. The professor responded that forgiveness was a concept that assumed moral responsibility and many other things that scientific psychology could not speak to. Don't force your values about forgiveness onto the patient, he warned. And when some of the students responded with dismay, the professor tried to relieve the tension with some humor. If you guys are looking for a changed heart, I think you're looking in the wrong department. However, as Pippert observes, the truth is we're looking for a changed heart. Secular reason all by itself cannot give us a basis for a deep and powerful message of forgiveness and redemption. Something that should set us apart from every other people on the face of the earth is our ability to forgive, even when people don't deserve it. You will never be more like God than when you forgive somebody. You want to be like the Lord? Forgive the people that have hurt you, that have sinned against you. That's what we need to do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me close with a story about forgiveness and sometimes about how it's difficult to live this out, isn't it? It's a challenge. It's hard. That's why we need to be patient with one another. So a young father in a supermarket was pushing a shopping cart with his little son who was strapped in the front. <clears throat> By the way, I'm, I never cease to be amazed at the new technology that they have for kids in supermarkets. I mean, we just had regular carts that were really dangerous. Now they have ones that look like cars and whatever. I want to get in one of those. 
So a young father was in the supermarket pushing a shopping cart with his little son who was strapped in the front. The little boy was fussing, irritable, and crying. The other shoppers gave the pair a wide berth because the child would pull cans off the shelf and throw them out of the cart. Anybody had one of those experiences? I used to think, man, my kids are like their fingers are Velcro. They stick to anything. They reach out and grab stuff as you're going by in the supermarket, you know. And you have things in your cart, and you get to the checkout, and you go, I didn't put that in there. Well, the father seemed to be very calm as he continued down each aisle, and he murmured gently, easy now, Donald. Keep, keep steady, Donald. Steady, boy. It's going to be all right, Donald. A mother who was passing by was greatly impressed by this young father's solicitous attitude, and she said, you certainly know how to talk to an upset child quietly and gently. And then bending down to the little boy, she said, what seems to be the trouble, Donald? Oh, no, said the father. He's Henry. I'm Donald. <laughs> That story spoke to me (laughs) because throughout my day, I don't know about you, we speak to ourselves. Now, psychologists tell us this. I don't know how they know. They say that we speak to ourselves at over 3,000 words a minute. Don't get offended, ladies. Ladies speak to themselves up to 5,000 words a minute. They found out it's different. How they know that, I don't know. I'm suspicious. But anyway, we do speak to ourselves, right? The woman who touched Jesus, the hem of his garment, she said to herself, So the Bible even reveals the self-talk of the heart before this woman gets healed. So we're speaking to ourselves all the time. What are you saying to yourself? So here, Donald's talking to himself. Donald, come on. What I want you to do this week is say, okay, whatever your name is, Joe, my name, compassion, kindness, forgiveness. These are the things we need to walk in. My nature by itself is not a nature to do that. It's God's supernatural nature in me. And we need to continue to reach out to God and say, God, I need your grace. I need your hope. I want want to represent you who you really are. But we need the help of the Lord. And we also need to be patient with one another, forgiving one another. I didn't mention patience here because we don't have time to deal with it. (laughs) It's self-evident, isn't it? I'm glad you laughed because I know there was a bit of an intense message at the beginning. God loves us so much, and he wants us to learn to love one another. It doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Amen. And it requires us to stand strong in the Lord and to, and to constantly lean on him and ask him to help us. We just bow our heads. I talked about a lot of things today. I just want to say if anybody is here this morning and you're holding on to offenses, maybe there is somebody that you think about. And it's so interesting as I prepared this message. Uh, this week, there were a couple people the Lord brought to mind and he said, you're, you still have a, a bitter root you need to let go of. It can happen to any of us. Can we just surrender those bitter roots this morning? Loving people is a full contact sport, and sometimes we don't mean to do it, but we hurt one another. You can say it in your own heart right now and, and put the person, whoever it is, put the word, their name in this, but Heavenly Father, we just release those this morning that have sinned against us. Not because people are worthy to be forgiven, but because you forgave us. We weren't worthy to be forgiven, and you've taught us to forgive others. So, Lord, we just want to release in our hearts right now people who have stepped on our toes, people who have spoken words, 
people who have done things. Some people were right out evil. Others were just being foolish and insensitive. But Lord, whatever, for your sake and for our sake, we just release them. Are you doing that right now in your heart? Just release them. God, let your grace flow this morning in our midst. Let your grace just flow in us, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. And how many of you would say, Lord, I need to learn to live out these one another's, but I know it doesn't come from my own strength. It comes from you. Can we just say, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. Just say it with me. Help us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we need your help and we need your grace. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to walk with compassion, with kindness, with patience, with a heart of forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to clothe ourselves each day with these things so that the world would know that we're not perfect, but we're really endeavoring to be like our Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We just ask you to help us, Lord. Help us to be agents of change where we work in the church, in our neighborhoods. Lord, speak to us right now about where you want us to really shine like this. And Father, forgive us for falling short because we know that we can't do it in our own strength. We walk in your forgiveness and grace so that we can extend it to others. Just help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go in the blessing of the Lord and God make us a blessing to others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.